0: Cool. How's everyone doing? Good? Sweet. Feels honestly really weird being up here. I was actually thinking to myself a year ago, I was like working at Fiddler's, trying to figure out my life, didn't know what I was going to be doing. <laughs> and a month before that, I actually taught my first Bible study at the college. Blake Wiley over there had me do it, actually. I know you're scared, but just go do it. You'll be fine. And then I would never guess from that one Bible study, I'm now just all you guys today. feels really weird. I know. Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Lord is good. Didn't expect this one. All right, <laughs> so today's uh, uh, teaching is going to be in Jeremiah 2. Um, so in the uh, Calvary Chapel tradition, why don't we all stand for the reading of the word? We're going to be going in chapter 2 of Jeremiah, from verses 4-19. to Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness, I became worth. They did not say, there, where is the Lord, who brought us up from the land of Egypt?" who has led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, and we went after the things they did not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus, and, or send to Kedar, and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has the nations changed its gods, even though there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which is not profit. By Apollo, O heavens at this, be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And hewn out cisterns of their smells, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Is Israel a slave? Is he a home-born servant? Why then has he become a prey? The lions have roared against him; they have roared loudly. They have made this land a waste. His cities are in ruins, without inhabitant. Moreover, the men of Memphis and the Tophis have shaved the crown of the head of your head. Have you not brought upon this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord God, who when he led you in the way? And now, what do you gain by going to Egypt? to drink the waters of the Nile, or what do you gain from going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you, and your apostasy will prove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord your host. Henry Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I want to uh, pray and lift up pastors Isaac and Roger as they are sick, and I pray for healing for them. And Lord, just pray um, for the teaching tonight that you would be through me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we went through a big chunk of Jeremiah chapter 2, and we are going to kind of get into the focus of that, but I really want to focus on uh, verse 13 is going to be the main uh, thing for tonight. Before we start going to that one verse, I want to give you guys a quick little background of who Jeremiah was in his time. So Jeremiah was a young prophet. He was a young, when he called the ministry when he was very young, around 17 or 20 years old. And we know in chapter 1, verse 6, that he mentions that he was a youth. The fact that when he first gets called to the ministry, he says, no, Lord, not me. I am too young. I am not able to do this. But the Lord consults him and gives him courage and wisdom, and he goes forward in that. The other thing we know about Jeremiah is that he never married. The Lord actually commanded him not to get married, and we see that in verse, or chapter in verse 2. He was also faced with much opposition and did not have any followers that we can find in Scripture mentioned besides a, uh, a scribe named Baruch, who had a whole chapter dedicated to him in chapter 45. Jeremiah started his ministry in Jerusalem in the 13th year rule, of uh, King Josiah, who was the same king who found a copy of the law and started leading a great revival, and he was the last godly king of them at that time. At this time, the kingdom of Israel had been split off. So you have in the north, uh, 10 tribes went to the north, he called it, was mostly called throughout scriptures Ephraim, or Israel. And you had two tribes that went down to the south, and that was Judah, or Jerusalem. So Josiah was the king of Jerusalem in the year about 6, uh, 26 B.C., he was a very godly king, and the last one that Jerusalem would ever see. He led a huge Passover that was even greater than what his grandfather Hezekiah did, and he reigned for 31 years. Jeremiah started his ministry at a fairly good time, but things were still looking bad for Israel as a whole. By this time, Assyria had overtaken the northern kingdom, and Babylon was coming for the southern. But despite this revival and what was going on in Jerusalem, people's hearts were still turned to the Lord. So, in the first four verses that we went through, it says, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Again, God usually refers to Judah as Israel at this time because actually there was more than just two tribes that broke off. When the kingdoms were split, it was ten in the, front, or ten in the north and then two in the south. But when the king of Israel and the northern tribes started um, were doing idolatry and a bunch of idol worship, a lot of the priests from each tribe started going down to the southern kingdom because they didn't want to, have to deal with it. So by this time in history, we actually had a lot more tribes down in the southern kingdom, than we thought. So in this point, that's why we see God referring to it as, O house of Jacob and the clans of the house of Israel. And then God continues going through this passage recounting Israel's history. The Lord says, he brings them through, he brought them through Egypt. He's showing them, this is their past. This is what I've done for you guys. And you guys' hearts are still not turned toward. He continues from verses 9 through 13. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. Across the coast of Cyprus and see, and see, are sent to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing that has a nation changed its gods, even though there are no gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be mocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, who doubt cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And this word contend in Hebrew means to make a case, a legal complaint. Because God's covenant still, with Israel still stands. He hasn't forgotten them as a people. The covenant that he made way back in the time of Abraham still stands to this day. And that is what God is saying. What are you guys doing? We have a good thing going. We've made a, a covenant between us. And you guys are going off and doing idol worship, even amidst this revival that's happening. And the verse that is what I want to talk about tonight is also in this passage, which talks about, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn not cisterns of their own. So the passage will continue later, and God will go through. Jeremiah saying, Is Israel a slave? Is he a homebound servant? Why is he become their prey? The lions have roared against him. They have roared loudly. They have made this land a waste. His cities are in ruins without inhabitant. Moreover, the men of Memphis and Tafferene have shaved the crown of your head. Have you not brought this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord your God when you led in the way? And now what do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you, and your apostasy will And know that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord of God of The people of Israel were following the same steps, same pattern, as their northern kingdom did. They were going to Egypt when they saw what Babylon was doing for them. They weren't going to the Lord. And it's always interesting to me because at this point in history, we see the northern kingdom do something similar. They went to Assyria for help. They didn't go for the Lord. And for the king of Josiah, this would be actually be his end. Because when he seeks for help for, and gets in the way of Egypt, he actually dies out in battle later on. But the verse I really want to focus again on tonight is verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they hooned out systems for their own, broken cisterns that hold no water. The people of Israel made this mistake over and over and over again. They have forsaken me. They have looked away from his commandments and his legacy of who God was. God is our savior, our protector, our supplier, our source, our fountain of living waters. And the verse continues. This is the second thing that says God says of the two evils that they was they carved out cisterns for themselves. And it's interesting to me that when I was going through this, that they carved out cisterns. Cisterns don't hold any water that's really living. Like, they can only store rainwater. And there have been thousands of these when they dig up archaeological digs throughout the nation. But the the best thing they could hold is stagnant water. And at worst, they were commonly cracked because of the limestone that was used. And this is something that, like God's trying to say, like dead gods cannot impart life. I'm the only one that gives you life. Yet you keep trying to carve out other things that are not from that life. So that is the big takeaway I wanted to focus on tonight, is God is our source. Judah's sin was compounded and they would not give up what they wanted. They outsourced their God, they outsourced themselves to water that wouldn't quench their thirst to begin with. And that's something that we can commonly make the mistake of too. It's something that we face as, even as believers because there's always something that's gonna try and grab our attention at some point and make us lose focus on who God really is. And that is something that I've had to focus too. When I first became a believer, I definitely believe I was baptized and that the Holy Spirit was. But my source wasn't in God yet because I was growing up trying to figure out who I was. And it wasn't later that I found out that no matter who I replaced myself, no matter who I wanted to be like, I needed to be like, I need to be Christocentric. I need to walk in Christ. My source has to be Christ. And that's the only thing that's going to quench that thirst I have. And it's funny because... No matter how many times people slice it, we are, as humans, we want to worship something. That's just the fact of it. We're always going to want to worship something. And we have to choose, is it going to be God or is it going to be something else? And that's why I want to talk about. If God is not at the top of your heart tonight, where is he? What cistern have you guys carved out thinking that it will last you till the end? Because if your heart's not sourced out to God, to whom have you put up higher? Who else told you the lie of freedom is in this or that or them? Freedom is only in Christ. Whatever overcomes this place, that place where God is supposed to be in your heart, is what you are a slave to. It could be money, it could be fear, envy. The list continues, but the facts still stay the same. And that's something that I can relate to a lot. If I am always going to be so focused on a fear or an anxiety or an envy, then my source isn't in God. My heart isn't in God. I'm letting whatever else dictates my life, and I'm not going to be in that. And God doesn't want just a part of you. That's something that i think many of you guys might have noticed as soon as you commit your life to christ as soon as you start this journey it's great like you're like oh my gosh this is so cool this is amazing i'm on fire for the lord and then later down the road god's going to say okay that's great now lean into me more like i don't know if i want to do that No, no no lean into me more into all your troubles financial husband relationship wife whatever it might be it's hard to give up control I mean, I hate giving up control, but he wants more of you. You cannot be divided in your heart, nor be in your spirit. You, cannot be, you can be conflicted, but in that conflict, you still have to choose one or the other. And Jesus is our fountain of living waters. Through him, we have everlasting life. And That's something that we see in John 4. The woman at the well, it's a great example. Now, a lot of you guys probably have heard about this story. It's when Jesus goes to Samaria, and it's a nation of essentially half-Jews, or partial-Jews, mixed-Jews. Whoops, I almost lost all my slides. Um, (laughs) So, when Babylon conquered the southern kingdom, um, and the Jews were left behind, they started intermarrying, and you had kind of like this non-Jewish people race there. But they still had remembrance of God's word. And the Samaritans kind of emerged as an ethnics group. So, in John 4, 7 through 14, we see, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and that who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, drank from it himself, and his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that will give him i will give him will never be thirsty again the water that i will give him a spring of welling up eternal life and this is the gift that we are presented with when we choose christ we are presented with a uh, well of living water that will never thirst again and i get it it's hard to accept a free gift but at the same time it's not exactly free because it came with the cost of our sin and god dying on the cross for our sin But it's there for us to take. God has given us all for a chance to live eternally with him. And if any of you guys haven't accepted this gift, I implore you to. And it's never too late to do it. And some of you that have accepted this gift and are living in Christ might ask, okay, what's next? I have living waters in me. How do I grow? How do I keep the spring alive? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Psalms 1, Tana talks about that. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the sea of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospered. So if you're planted in living water, the next step is to grow in that living water. So plant down and grow in God's word. Now, I love the illustration of Christ being planted, or of being planted like a tree in Christ, because it's really true. Like as we grow, it is like a tree. But I love it even more. It says that its leaf does not wither. And you want to be like a tree that its leaf wither. Now, every time I read that parse, it makes me think of an evergreen tree. And it could be just because I live in Washington State and there's evergreen trees all around us. So I see it pretty frequently. But what's the great thing about evergreen trees? They don't wither. They're green all the time. And that's what we should be. We should be green in every season. In the fiery trials of summer, when we'd rather just be dormant in winter and things get cold and it hurts, we're going to call to still be alive. We're still called to be green. And we don't do this independent from God, but we as we abide in Christ, for in nothing for in him nothing produced of our own will is good. Well you might think this is great, illustration instruction, but you might need more. I got more. Second Peter one, five through eight. For this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a great reminder to remind us of the importance of diligently studying his word. And it's kind of like a, a flow, essentially. As we supplement our faith with virtue, with virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, it keeps going down the ladder. There's always something that we can be growing in. There's always something that we can be striving towards to get better at because I don't, definitely don't have all these qualities down to a T. Self-control, that one's super hard, because I get super, super impatient. I'm like, oh, I just want to get this done. I want to do this right now. Like, no, calm down. And I have to calm down. There's always something you can be growing in. And I know I don't have it up here, but the verse 12 actually is my favorite part of this thing. And realizing I say that now, I probably should just put it up there. <laughs> but verse 12 would go on later to say, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, as Paul writes this, he's saying, this is Peter talking to the believers that he's writing to, to remind them. This is Peter reminding them of these qualities. But who, remind, who, told, who spoke through Peter to remind them of these qualities? It was the Holy Spirit. So for me, this is a great reminder that the Holy Spirit is going to be reminding us of, of these qualities. I mean, that's what Jesus told us. He had to ascend so he could send down the helper. We all have that helper, and that is something that I always think about when I read this passage. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities and keep on striving towards them. God isn't done with you, nor has he left the foundation that you worked hard to work together. All right, and this next passage I want to go through is just a little quick, little simple one. Romans 11:36. 36. This is one of my favorite ones. And this is coming from Paul, and it's his closing statement of the chapter, right after sharing the importance of the Gentiles being grafted in and the future of salvation is to come. And it says, For him... For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. So when I took a class, I took a class on Romans, and honestly, it was really, really dense. Like, there was so much content, and I started falling asleep a little bit. But this content, like, jumped my heart to start a little bit, because first of all, it was almost like a tongue twister. But at the same time, it was something I wanted to think about. For from him and through him, to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Everything that is good comes from of, from him. That uh, word of him or from him is um, E-K or source in the Greek. Then you have through him, which is dia, an agency, essentially, and eid. I I don't know how you even pronounce that. I'll be honest. It's a Greek word. I'm not fluent in Greek yet. It's, but it means it's the to him piece, and it's the goal. So from the source, through the agency, to the goal. That's how it goes. From God, all things are good. To, through him, things are still good. And to him, our end goal, may him be the glory forever, amen. And that is what we have to go through. Our source, it cannot be rooted in anything else. Otherwise, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be from him. And things start falling apart really quickly. And this was a huge convicting point for me. That's honestly probably why I woke up during my class during this piece, because it convicted me a lot. Not because I was starting to snooze off in class, but because at this point in my life, my source was not in God. My source was in other things. My source was in how I view people and how they view me. My source was in what I should do. My source wasn't in Christ. And this was God slapping him on the hand saying, who's your source going to finally be? Is it going to be me finally? And that's one thing that I want to implore all of you guys to do. So who will be your source? Open your eyes to where you are at in line with Christ. Don't let yourself be sold out to a lie. Be sold out for Christ. In him is your strength in him is your source. Don't allow things to creep in and take the place of God. And take a self-inventory. Who is in your main lineup? And it's hard. It really is hard. Because as you realize, as we go and put God as a resource, we will have to start surrendering. But in that surrendering, we get our strength. We get our strength in the Lord. And it's a growing process, and it's something that I am still growing in, especially as God pushes me and pulls me into things that I'm always scared of doing, like standing up here, giving a sermon. That was scary enough. <laughs> but God has been faithful in every step of the journey that I've been in, and he's faithful in everyone else's step in the journey. Even when the times it doesn't feel like it, He's going to correct you, and it will. It, <laughs> I don't know, actually, can I use the word suck on that? Whoops. <laughs> 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 it will not be fun. <laughs> let me say that. <laughs> but it's because he's a loving parent that he does correct us. He doesn't want us wandering away. He wants us to follow after him. He wants us to correct ourselves, be better walking. And one of my favorite books that I see that in is the book of Amos. And I know that's kind of a weird one, Amos. That's a little or prophet in the Old Testament. But in those first two chapters, I always find it really intriguing when God starts proclaiming judgment on all these nations. He says, for three times and then for four. For three times and then for four. And he lists out what they did wrong and what their punishment. He does this uh, city after nation, city after nation. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Why would you do? Well, and then math happened, and then I added it up, and seven. Completion. Seven is the number of completion. God is a patient person. He's going to wait until it's time to actually slap you on the wrist and be like, no, really stop. There's grace involved. There's loving. There's fellowship involved. But our God is still a just God, and that's a beautiful thing, too, because then we know that when it's time that he says enough is enough, we know that he's just in saying enough is enough. But I just also couldn't help it when I looked at it, I was like, wow. There's been many times when I was growing up that I noticed that my parents were like, Evan, don't do that, and then I start pushing the line a little bit, and then, it was, then finally they slapped me on the wrist. But it was kind of like that. He was saying, I'm going to wait until it's done, and I'm going to make sure that you get it when it happens, though, because... God is patient in that. He's like a father. But he also doesn't want us wandering off into the darkness. And that is something that has always been on my heart too. Because life does have its hiccups. It has its hills. It has its trials that we all have to go through at some point. But if we keep our source in God, you'll find that those trials are a little bit easier to surrender. on. You'll find that the things that we get our strength in also is are to find that strength. So, And the things that sometimes that God asks you to surrender, it actually might have been something that he was not going to actually take away from you. One of my favorite verses is Psalms 37.4. It's actually my life verse, and I say it's my life verse because it pops up so many times throughout my life. <laughs> There'll be many times where I'm like, oh, I just really want this, and they're like, Evan, where's God in that? What's Psalms 37.4 say? So th- Psalms 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, for he- and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I know that sounds kind of contradict of like, wait, isn't the heart supposed to be deceitfully wicked? Well, yes, there is that verse too, but there are some things in your heart that aren't deceitfully wicked, like Oh, I really want to go hiking. That's not a bad thing. You can go hiking. We have beautiful mountains. But are you going to prioritize hiking with friends over me or over God or spending time with God? Are you going to prioritize the things in life over God? If you delight in him first, more often than not, the thing that you really want, the thing you're holding on to, to try to obtain, starts to actually come into place. a lot simpler than if you focus on the one thing instead of focusing on God. And that's something that I've always struggled with. That's why it's my life first, because a lot of things... Something will try to take the place of God, and i will realize I need to lighten him first, and things will start falling more into place. Matthew six thirty-three says the same thing: seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things are added to you. That is everything we need to have. Our source is, has to be in God. And I'll be honest, that is what I have for you guys tonight. I went kind of quick, <laughs> but to be fair, I actually went kind of slow. That was the first time I've ever done a thirty-minute sermon. Blake can attest, the college group, it's like a 20-minute max. (laughs) So progress is good. (laughs) All right, I'll pray this out. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. I pray that it'll just instill in people's hearts that anything that was from you, just take away and everyone with those who are sick and couldn't be here tonight. Just the fellowship will continue and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.